0: Hello everybody, welcome back to The Al and Dre Show. This is the first episode back in a little while. We both had to take a break for, you know, school and work and a whole bunch of other reasons, but we are both very glad to be back and in your guys' homes and just, you know, ready to give another listen and hopefully give us another try. Um, just to introduce yourselves again, my name is Andre. I am one half of The Al Andre Show, the podcast. I am Alexandra. Alex are the other half of The Al and Dre Show, the Al part of it and yeah you know just uh gonna give you guys hopefully some good insights some new opinions that you know we haven't maybe had before or thought about but uh yeah we're here to just talk about some sports some los angeles uh sports as a whole and hopefully let's get into that pretty soon yeah so first up uh, first and and but definitely not least obviously would be the los angeles lakers baby so for those of you who may not know, but I'm sure most of you if you're listeners or just in general uh, know, the Lakers are making it to the NBA Finals. They will go up against the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. And it was quite a journey for them. The, you know, They had a very successful uh, playoff run. They've had a very uh, terrific season. And right now what we're going to do is go ahead and go into the, the regular season. They had a terrific regular season. And we're going to go into all the details of that and just what a terrific season they had. So uh, do you want to go ahead and start it? Uh, Yeah, definitely just uh, look at maybe some of the team leaders and like statistical categories such as points, blocks, rebounds, things of that nature. But uh, the leader in points per game actually was Anthony Davis at a 26.1. And then at rebounds per game we see anthony davis up there again 9.3 which again he's totally snubbed uh, for the defensive play of the year that's just again my opinion out there and then assists you know who else besides um lebron james at 10.2 and then we have blocks per game anthony davis again steals again anthony davis about two for the blocks and about you know maybe two for the steals there, and then minutes leading LeBron James with 34. So these are just some of the numbers and statistical categories that, uh, you know, uh, the team leaders really showed as we see, as we have seen from the playoffs. You know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James leading the Lakers with their sixth and seventh man off the bench, you know, games here and there. It'll be Kuzma, it'll be AC, Deion Waiters, uh, people like that. It'll just have really uh, good games for them, but consistently it's been Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So yeah as alex said it's definitely a two-man show and i think a lot of the um for the uh, for the western conference anyways throughout the playoffs a lot of it was uh, the um you know the duos against duos in the first round we had you know lebron james and anthony davis the la duo against the portland duo and cj mccullum and uh dame dame dollar or damian lillard as some of you may know you know and a lot of the playoffs are really just kind of seeing what duo would do better and ultimately, you know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James prevailed, It whether it was the LeBron James triple-double or Anthony Davis going for over 30 points and shooting, you know, over 50%, or close to 50% from the field. So he was just really out there and he really put the team on his back. And that was the first official, we'll call it light out sure yeah light light out for the video especially because yeah we're gonna just be having like on um on and off just flickering just a bit. bit as you are recording outside it is a bit dark out here but we do have a light sensor so that'll be what that is yeah but no worries we're gonna get that fixed soon and hopefully you guys will see more of us and less of the light outs that being said so you know it wasn't just you know lebron james and anthony davis aren't the only ones on the team um you know we have some we have some good scores Um, So we're going to go and give you guys the uh, top scoring and shooting percentages for the team So Anthony Davis led in field goal percentage with he shot about 50 percent from the field and LeBron James was a was a close second He shot about 49 percent from the field and you know yours uh, One and only alex's favorite player well close to you probably We're definitely second favorite not favorite, but Kyle Kuzma. He shot 43 percent from the field so you know there is a bit of a dip as far as focal percentages but you know when you're uh, trailing behind lebron james and anthony davis it's quite a lot to you know ask to keep up with them and i think kuzma throughout the regular season did and he really showed that he can be the third guy at times but also you know other guys had to get involved and in you know that's what a team's about it's about picking that one guy up or picking several guys up and just saying like hey this is a team effort and we're going to get through this. Um, next would be the three point, uh, the three point uh, percentage. A lot of guys on this team throughout the playoffs we've seen can knock down shots and at times also knock down shots so throughout the regular season there's a lot of ups and downs but there were, we have some pretty good three point shooters. First off who led the team in three point uh, percentage would be kcp contavious cowboy pope he's been here since last year he's always been that three and d guy he knows how to really stroke the ball and when he gets hot he gets really hot but just as uh, the same with a guy who gets who's very streaky you have to stick with him when he's ice cold but also you stick with him when he's you know uh, red hot so he shot about 38 and a half percent from three danny green was next you know he came uh, he came in the off season. he was seen as the three guy, if only that's all he does. But you know, we've seen him throughout the season in playoffs as well, again, that he's a three and D guy, and that's what he brought to the table, and he shot about 36%. So, you know, a lot of these guys, um, you know, KCP and Danny Green, they just really showed out with the three uh, point percentages, and their, um, you know, their three ball, and also their defense. Yeah, and then just next up, we have our free throw percentages, which, um, been watching the playoffs and regular season, it's been a struggle for them to, um, unfortunately, actually consistently have those nights where you have those 8 for 9 free throws, or those 10 and 11s, you get maybe the 3 for, like, 5s, or, you know, we have those off nights where we are getting to the line, but, you know, the percentage necessarily isn't there, and we do kind of see it as well, Anthony Davis, not necessarily. He has uh, one of the better strokes in the game, one of the be- uh, bigger big men that does have a, a bigger, better stroke, but he was shooting 84.6% uh, from the free throw line, followed up by Avery Bradley at 83.3%, who actually currently isn't playing inside of the bubble due to family reasons and, you know, all Yeah, you got to the- keep his family safe, so we totally get that. You know, he's still a Laker. He just had to keep his family safe. But, yeah, you know, uh, as Alex said, leaving, you know, a lot of lettuce and ham and cheese and mustard on the there's pretty much three points left on the floor, and we definitely got to get better at that come finals time. But um, continue. Uh, yeah, and then just to round those uh, two uh, two uh, players out, it would be LeBron James with the 34.8%, which a lot of people, a lot of critics who aren't, uh, you know, maybe big fans or advocates of LeBron James being, you know, the second coming of the GOAT or people want to label him as that. But they have been getting on him for his um, inability to actually, you know, uh, make and sink free throws. Late in games or just normally, as you see that there with the uh the free, the free throw percentage. So. Yeah, he actually um he actually shot around seventy three percent from uh, free throw percentage. The thirty four percent was actually relating to his three point percentage, which is relatively good for you know someone who isn't necessarily a three guy. He very he likes to go in the paint a lot and get a lot of. Uh, and ones and fouls uh, in the lane so yeah but to Alex's point a lot of people who you know are are a critic of LeBron James really point to his free throws and how at times he can't he's not necessarily a clutch free throw shooter or just even a good free free throw shooter at times so that's definitely something he needs to you know step up uh, come finals time but yeah that was a regular season a lot of you know again a majority of the uh, staff leaders, we uh, were going to be, as most people would guess, we're going to be LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and you know, it's not a problem, they're just, it's a two-man team, and they have a lot of, um pieces around them to complement them so and um, for some of you who may know we have a couple returning players and i just wanted to give them a couple uh you know a nod to kind of see how they progress within the lit this lakers team um most importantly or just most notably would be kyle kuzma his uh transition from last season to this season so if i was going to go ahead and discuss kyle kuzma uh, jump from this season to last season yeah, as you mentioned um since drafting him he's kind of been a guy that's been under the radar and he definitely hadn't i uh, gotten uh, too many licks other than, uh, you know, maybe the all-star, um, the all-rookie nod he got uh, last year with Lonzo Ball. Um, actually, not last year, the d- year before that. Um, but, yeah, just um, the, his big jump. Uh, yeah, So, uh, just a big jump from uh, initially going under the radar and not really, you know, setting out to be much other than, you know, oh, a chance pick. Uh, But his uh, shot uh, shot selection um, has been getting better because he's getting a lot less looks with LeBron and Anthony Davis on the floor, taking up a lot of minutes, as we mentioned. Um, but even with uh, uh, less shots and um, even uh, maybe a little less minutes, he's still been able to have an impact uh, effect- effectively with his plus minus. Um, always been on the positive end. His defense has been pretty impeccable when they do want to wrestle LeBron and AD and those guys. Um, he's supposedly um, undersized at the power forward position, which I just think that uh, maybe it's more of a facade or he just looks a bit smaller, but he plays big. He can defend just about anybody um, other than you know the 7-footers and those really, really big guys, but um, I think where I see his biggest progression is on the defensive end with his quick feet. um being able to rotate, being able to take those charges, being able to have his defensive um IQ up because yeah he might not have the options of skill set of if you know which I don't get me wrong, I do think his three is incredible and when you have the open look like, he's gonna take it and he has handles. Um but I uh, just the the biggest leap from last year is defensively and um you know just seeing him uh, you know, getting off those loose balls or just get in front of anybody um who necessarily wants to take it to the rim. So so yeah, I think yeah, Kyle's improved in a lot of ways. You know, a lot of people would say that oh, he needs to be that he needs to step up and be that third guy. And I yeah, I am in agreement with the idea that hey, you know, he's been here. You know, we traded Brandon and Lonzo away to keep him here. And you know, obviously, I'm sure he doesn't think about that because you know that's it's a league, it's a make or miss league, as a lot of people say on ESPN. If you've seen that, they make they say a lot and. You know it just it means a lot to him I think to still be with this franchise still be a Lakers so for him his next step I think in the right direction is really being that you know that number three guy when he's in you know he's gonna knock down that shot or he is gonna play that great defense and at times we've seen it from you know in the bubble I think it was one of the last games of the regular season where he you know he made that um, he made a game winner a buzzer beater and that was like hey We saw for the first time in a very long time like he has that in him to kind of be that clutch guy And I think moving into the finals whereas he struggled at times in the denver series Whether it was guarding jamal murray or guarding paul Millsap or really guarding anybody he would kind of the other The other player would get the best of him But I think again, he needs to take the next step and progress which would be this finals I think is really be assertive take control defensively and be one of the leaders that um, this team needs And I think he is capable of doing that. Um, We just need to see it from him, and that includes, you know, taking better shot selections and getting to the foul line more, and just being that guy that they need him to be. Uh, Our next, uh, well, one of my personal favorites. He's not necessarily like the biggest, you know, plus-minus guy or just, you know, he's not filling up the stat sheets every night. But one of, I think, our personal favorites and just a really cool guy. um, It seems like anyway is Alex Caruso, the AC show. Um, you know, he's also taken leaps and bounds. I think he, you know, he's, uh, statistically, he's been about the same guy. He's getting, uh, a little bit more minutes. He's scoring a little bit more. But ultimately, I think his biggest jump is just defensively and definitely being that energy, uh, that, uh, you know, that, uh, Energizer Bunny, as some people would say, or just that, that much needed kick and boost off the bench. And oftentimes I think because of that boost and because of that mentality of like, he's gonna die for the ball he's really in it every minute and even at times in a couple in a couple even in several interviews he said that um you know he likes the memes and he likes being called the goat but also at the end of the day he's he is a professional basketball player and i think that professionalism and that mentality he takes with him just really elevates him and allows him to be an essential piece to this team for uh, many reasons especially off the bench Yeah, I definitely agree with you and say that he is an energizer when LeBron's down or he's uh, playing heavy minutes uh, right before the half or, you know, they need him in to maybe have – maybe not uh, need him to make necessarily a big steal or a big block because you can't really expect those things more, you know, on play and a a field thing. But um, they do expect him to be out there, a defensive anchor. You know, if he's out there, your your guards are going to have trouble getting loose, getting open shots or getting off the ball because he's going to stick to you. He's going to get through those screens. Um, Even with those shifty defenders  – Seen like Westbrook, um he was still able to get in front of them and just be a pest, and you know get low, um stay in his heels, and ultimately you know just really shut them down. And again, he's not you know one of those elite defenders, but he's on his just as uh, just as what well could be on his way up there. So, so yeah, and just as we close out the review of the 2019 to 2020. 2020- Season for the Los Angeles Lakers, they wound up in first in the Pacific Division, and they were the overall number one seed in the Western Conference, and they finished with a record of fifty-two and nineteen. So, less than twenty losses, I think, pretty impressive, a very successful regular season. So now we will be moving on to the first round of the playoffs, and that was against the one and only Portland trailblazers um So overall, before we get into the each game, how do you uh, feel the series uh went ultimately for the lakers and you know obviously for portland as well ultimately losing but how do you feel the lakers uh, looked and how do you think they did uh for the series um, well i think just the lakers going in i wouldn't necessarily say it was like a warm-up because you know competition is you know a uh, very heavy and you know they can't take anybody lightly but uh just you know having the have that playing game against memphis and that going really down to the wire really close um, I do think that LeBron James going in, had his mind ready, had his body rested, um, knew that uh, he had to take care of business. Um, and obviously they had that one game slip-up. You know, Dame had his three, his logo shots, and, you know, they had their bigs working. And um, there was also a point, I think, when the, we were still hampered with a lot of injuries. We didn't really know where our guards were going to come from. And there, again, LeBron and AD were playing the heavy minutes. AD wasn't nearly as aggressive, so that was where we see maybe, you know, AD, Kind of backing off from LeBron getting you know, that I'm like, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to you get your shots up. You need to be the defensive anchor. You need to you know shoot um eight times or nine times you know in, in a quarter. Like, you know whenever you're on the floor. Um, but it, um I do think that it was just a kind of warm up series for them, and that uh yeah it'll be a genuine sweep or a sweep ultimately. Yeah, so they did ultimately end up winning this series against Portland in the first round by a um, series of four to one. They took the gentleman sweeps. Uh, the gentleman sweep in five games. In the first game, we had Portland winning by a score of 100 to 93, so only a seven point win for Portland. In that game, we saw uh, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard drop, drop for a combined 51 points while so they shot 40, 17 of, um, of 42, and they were went 9 for, of 21 from the three. So in that game, they were really going off, and they just had. as alex said they had um all cylinders on fire they had their bigs playing up they had carmelo anthony going off for a lot he was very clutch for them in the third quarter and in the fourth quarter and yeah that was game one but then after game one like alex said lebron kind of locked in he talked to anthony davis he kind of let put anthony davis on notice like hey this is your team this we're gonna follow you we're gonna follow your lead so from from that point moving forward, we just kind of seen that aggressive side to the Lakers, and then they would ultimately uh win four straight games after that. In game two, they won by a score of 111 to 88, so a 20 plus point win for the Lakers. And in that game, Anthony Davis put up 31 points and he got 11 rebounds, so he was able to achieve a double double. He shot 17, uh, no, he didn't. I'm sorry, he shot. 13 of 22 from the floor and uh four lakers were in double digits so you know everyone was contributing and that's where we see those big blowouts when you have your main guy like anthony or lebron scoring 30 plus and getting everybody involved which and then turns uh, multiple players having uh, terrific games with at least 10 points next we have our game three if you want to go ahead and uh, discuss game three yeah game three is actually um i think Final score of 116 to 108 with the Los Angeles Lakers taking that W. Um, and actually, um, it was led by LBJ and Anthony Davis combining for 67 points, with um, LBJ having the more points with 38, um, 12 rebounds and eight assists. So just two assists shy of actually achieving a, a triple double, which um, you know is a very hard feat to come by. But with LeBron James, you know, on the ball, um, you don't really know what you're going to get night in, night out. Um, that's always a possibility with him, just with his ability to um, read the basketball, with his assist numbers. Um, you know, have um a, a, a smell for the ball. I would say with his rebounding and obviously his ability to get to the lane and just shoot the basketball is incredible. So again, um, every um, opportunity, every night they play, go out there, he can have a triple double, and that was just one of those nights where, um, he just really went out there and got it. You, he, he's seen his three ball working. He was getting uh, shifty and swifty with his um, handles and you know ultimately it just couldn't stop him you know lbj his 17th year everybody wants to say it's honest with the mvp well uh he definitely looked like mvp of the western conference in in that series and um yeah he just took it to them and they just never recovered fully Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, as Alex mentioned, very briefly, um, a couple weeks ago, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, and a lot of people see as the next face of the NBA, you know, it's up for agreement, uh, for disagreement, but we'll say he is, he ultimately won uh, another MVP, Um, last year he also won one, so this is his back to back regular season MVP, and a lot of people felt that, including LeBron James, he um, publicly Address this and he was frustrated with the fact that you know He didn't he thought he deserved it And I think a lot of Laker fans and even non-laker fans believe that he did deserve it coming into his 17th year And just really putting in that work during the regular season Obviously you could see um, through the team record and just his individual accolades that he was deserving of it But ultimately he didn't get that He didn't get that um, recognition or MVP a, a trophy but hey you know it's onto the playoffs and ultimately championships are are worth more than mvps for some people so on um, the next two uh the next two games uh the lakers close out the series very briefly uh in game four they won by a score of 20 uh 135 to 115 in that game lebron scored 30 points 10 assists and six rebounds And both uh, Anthony Davis and Kyle Kuzma scored 18 so it was just a team effort and again we saw LeBron just doing what he needs to do putting the team on his back and just kind of you know uh, put uh, getting on the Laker train and just you know going on to the next series and in game five the Lakers wound up finishing the series off uh, by a score of 131 to 122 and in that game Anthony Davis was able to get 43 points so he was on fire and lebron james was able to grab another triple double with 36 points 10 rebounds and 10 assists so again as alex mentioned always a chance of a triple double and in the first round of the playoffs we've seen uh, um lebron james do that and again it's always a possibility you just gotta be aware of where lebron is at all times and he's gonna facilitate the best way he can and he's gonna help his team win the best ways way he can, way he can by shooting scoring and passing and let's what he's able to do very frequently, very confidently. So again, he's always a triple-double threat. So next would be the second round against the Houston Rockets. And for that round, a lot of people were saying the matchup that uh, Russell Westbrook, what Russell Westbrook, and uh, actually James Harden would give to the Lakers would you know have them up and knots. They wouldn't know what to do with all the shooting, three barrages, and all that. But um, you know very quickly you could see that um, there were just flaws to that system. You know, you live and die by the three. Sometimes they're just not going to go down. And I think towards the end of the series, there, that's ultimately happened for them. Unfortunately, they're taking um, not um, not making a whole lot of them. And the size that the Lakers had um, just ultimately were too much. That's where you see Javale and Dwight kind of get more of the minutes than they um, that they actually didn't see towards uh, the end of the uh, conference uh, finals because they actually both didn't play too much. Other than you know, actually that's. I mean, I'm Dwight played a lot, but definitely yeah. not JaVale. And I think Alex said the Lakers were able to capitalize on the size that the Houston Rockets didn't have. And game one, Houston ultimately took that game by a score of 112-97. to And, you know, that was when everyone was like, oh, is are the threes too much for LeBron? What's going to happen? What happened with the size? They were, even though they're so small, they are able to win against a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who's almost seven feet or is seven feet. So what are they going to do? Very quickly, I think everyone, including especially the Lakers, realized that, hey, we have the size. We need to attack the basket. We need to attack the rim. We need to rebound more. We need to be more aggressive. And, ultimately, we will win. And then, again, much like the first round matchup against Portland, the Lakers uh, took the genuine sweep again by winning the series uh, four games to one. And, again, ultimately, after game one, the Lakers just tapped into, you know... Their size advantage that they had, and they just took advantage of Houston the best way they could. So, for game two, the Lakers won that game 117 to 109, and in that game Anthony Davis put up 34 points. He put up ten rebounds, and LeBron also had had him very close in points with twenty eight points, eleven rebounds, and nine assists. So again, another game we see from LeBron. Very, uh, he's very shy of another triple double, and you know it it was just the we see the the greatness that is LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So yeah, then we move on to Game Three with actually a total final score of one hundred and twelve to one hundred and two. The Lakers also winning that game. Uh, LeBron James uh, finished the game with 36 points, 7 rebounds, and 5 assists. And the actually another key playmaker, which was an anomaly or you know rather odd for um, the playoffs, given that he had just um, came back from injury, but um, Rajon Rondo... Playoff um, Rondo, baby! ...actually came into the game and uh, uh, contributed quite a lot with 21 points and 9 assists, and then on that uh, game he actually did move up into the all-time playoffs um, assist record books, passing Kobe Bean Bryant... Um, So that was another big night for him. And then um, the last and third final piece for that night for the W, um, was Anthony Davis with his 26 points, 15 rebounds, and 6 assists. So overall, you kind of just see... um, the Lakers will have their nights where you have a Rondo, you have a Markeith Morris, or you have a Deion Wade or a Kyle Kuzma give you the 12, the 15s, the 16s with, you know, assists or blocks or good defense or just the uh, intangible things that you can't really teach, but rather, you know, it's repetition and, you know, getting that game experience. So and then, moving on to Game Four, actually, it was again not too close. Um, as a- Andy mentioned, you know they just really tapped in and locked in to their size advantage and knew what they needed to do. And it was a final score of 110 to 100 with the Los Angeles Lakers winning. And Anthony Davis finished with 29 points, 12 rebounds, and five assists. Um, and actually five players finished um, in double digits for um, the Lakers, including Lebr- LeBron James with 16 points and, and 15 rebounds. Alex Caruso, the AC show. Calucho. Maybe that's his first. He tapped in with 16 points. He had 16. And then Rajon Rondo with 11 points, 8 assists, 10 rebounds. Um, and both uh, KCP and Danny Green finished off with 10 points apiece. So. They were both very productive from the three. I think they both shot uh over 50 percent from three and they just had a stellar night from the three-point line and ultimately to finish off the houston series we took it to game five where the lakers absolutely destroyed the houston rockets to send them packing home by a score of 119 to 96 and in that game again very very typical of lebron to uh, almost like teased a triple double, it feels like, but he was ultimate. He was able to get 29 points, 11 rebounds, and seven assists. And all starters for that game were able to score at least 10 points, and they all. And ultimately, they all shot together over 60% from the field. So again, it was a statement game for the Lakers. They were able to put Houston away, and they were just ready and prepared for their next and final competition in the west which would be the western conference finals against the denver nuggets or the denver six piece or the denver happy meal or the denver i don't want to call them but we'll say denver nuggets for now and it was a very tough series i for Den- it was a very successful and tough road for denver heading into um this playoff series uh, for those of you that don't know uh before, prior to facing the lakers the nuggets were i believe the first or very few, i think they were the first and only team to successfully come back from a a 3-1 series deficit in the first two rounds of their um of their series in the first round they were able to come back from utah jazz by a score uh by a 3-1 to they came back and won it in game seven they did it in the second round to the los Angeles clippers yeah the clippers you know those guys who think they're uh, part of Los Angeles, but that team, they were able to come back, and uh, and Devin was able to come back and successfully win in Game 7 again against the LA Clippers, and now they were going up against the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, hoping for some magic again, as we saw throughout that series that, um you know, the Lakers had the very dominant games at times, but also... Uh, Jamal Murray and Nikolai Jokic were able to try and keep the dreams of Denver alive, but ultimately their dreams were crushed. Uh, what would yeah, you say? I would definitely say that the crushed part is a, you know, a great part to that sentence and overall sentiment towards the Denver season because when it came to, uh, yeah, just playing the Lakers, they uh, I wouldn't say they didn't have it because there was a lot of times in those games where it did come close. It was the last second shot or. You know, it was a defending down play or it was foul trouble to, you know, Jokic. Or it was just, you know, very um, knick-knack or like tic tac things, knick things that, you know, really come down to, you know, one or two um, plays in a ball game. But ultimately, it was the Lakers that came out on top. And, uh, yeah, they just came out there and, and crushed him. LeBron James did what he needed to do as far as um, being a... Uh, you know, a uh, connoisseur of uh, basketball and really knowing where to put everybody, where to get guys open, where to, you know, draw zones, where to, you know, read certain players, where to foul somebody, where to, you know, try to clog the lane or where on defense they need to be at and all those things that ultimately led uh, to the Lakers, you know, winning those ball games. And uh, one of the uh, games that they actually highlighted was Anthony Davis making an insane buzzer beater. Uh, to actually you know seal that win for them and um, that was where people were thinking a sweep at that point but yeah and that in that uh, buzzy reader actually I think oh um, I think just for the team as a whole but just as a fan I want to say that that game I think swayed a lot of people's minds that hey you know Denver thought they had a shot because they ultimate they actually um, they were very close games that game had um the denver nuggets won. i think we would have saw a different series but thankfully anthony davis was clutch and was able to make that shot but as alex said you know uh denver has a is a very good ball club and i know we said i know i said that they were crushed and all that stuff and their jeans are crushed but ultimately i think they have uh real good ball players and J- jamal murray and Nikola Jokic and a lot of and um they have a lot of those two guys especially i think they're going to be good for a very long time as long as jamal murray stays on his game and nikola Jokic continues to get better michael porter who a lot of people didn't really notice until the playoffs um he's going to be a real star and a real ball player as well so i think they have a lot progressing and a lot going in the right direction for them but ultimately this year was you know not their year as a lot of people say so um yeah they uh, ultimately, the Lakers ended up winning that series in another gentleman's sweep by a game, by, by a series score of four games to one. And again, it was just a lot of um, dominance from LeBron James. So the first game, we see a final score of 126 to 114, with the Lakers winning that one. Anthony Davis finished with 37 points, 10 rebounds, and four assists. LeBron James finished that game with 16 points, 12 assists, and 6 rebounds, so his points were not up there, but we do see the double-double being active from him, and they actually still do pull out the W, so I think one of those games is where Anthony Davis took over, probably had one of those 20-plus shots, 25 shots, uh, tapped the games, and um, held held it down on the defensive end. Um, but, yeah, I think the next game is where we see that of uh, the buzzer beater. But, as I just mentioned in game two with a final score of 105-103 to 103 with the Lakers winning, Anthony Davis hitting the buzzer beater, calling Kobe to seal it for the W at the end. Um, but, yeah, he just had a really dominant performance with his uh, 31 points. Um, and LBJ's 26 points, 11 rebounds, and 4 assists, along with um, a lot of good defensive plays by Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, and Marquise Morris, I think, definitely. Uh, so, yeah, and then just to move on now to Game Now we three. have Game 3, which is going to be the one Denver win. And that and in that game, uh, three Denver starters scored 20-plus points. That would be Jamal Murray, who scored 12 points and had 11 assists and 8 rebounds. Nikola Jokic, who 28 scored... 28 points for Jamal Murray. 28 points, excuse me. Nikola Jokic had 22 points and 10 rebounds and 5 assists. For that game so he was a bit of he was a bit of everywhere on the court and Jeremy Grant who scored 20, who gave them a much needed boost in that series and by giving them 26 points but after game three we can we see again the Laker dominance in game four the Lakers won by a score of 114 to 108 AD again doing what he does he had 34 points he shot 10 from fi- uh, 15 from the field And LeBron James, again, always teasing that triple-double with 26 points, 8 assists, and 9 rebounds. And in Game 5, the Lakers did it. They sealed the deal in the Western Conference Finals by a score of 117 to 107. And LeBron closed the series out with a triple-double by a score of 30, by a, a stat line of 38 points, 16 rebounds, and 10 assists. So yes, even in the game... That they need to go to the finals. LeBron comes up with an almost 40-point triple-double, so just an amazing, amazing stat line for a, a true great of basketball, and just you know, um, you know the few, the current greatness of the Los Angeles Lakers. So now, here we are with our NBA final preview. Yes. The- Bye. The NBA Finals preview. You're gonna get Mark Jackson in your home, baby. Love him. Great commentator. Great guy. Awesome guy. Should be. Should hopefully coach again. But if not, hey, I understand that coaching is very um, stressful. But yeah, NBA final times and the NBA Finals. It's going to be the Los Angeles Lakers going up against the Miami Heat. So right here live on this podcast, what we're gonna do is make our official prediction for the finals. I don't think it's uh I wouldn't be remiss in saying that we both believe the Lakers will win this and we will be the 2020 NBA Finals champions. We will be able to, to hoist up the Larry O'Brien trophy once again for no and I don't know people may get mad at this. I don't care. The greatest basketball franchise to ever exist and that includes the Boston Celtics, okay? I said it. It's it's the truth. That's fine. We're gonna move on. That being said, Alex, how do you think this fi- the finals will go for the Los Angeles Lakers? Um, I think it's gonna go to uh, probably about a, a game six with the Lakers coming out on top. I think uh, Miami is just uh, they've proven themselves to you know, not re- um they fly under the radar once the playoffs initially started, but then once everybody's seen how they handled the Milwaukee Bucks and how they got um to straight to business with everybody they particularly played with. Um, so, they're no, no one to joke about. They have shooters. They got all the red talent around them. Everyone was saying no in a couple of years, but no, I think that you can do it right now. And you have Tyler Harrow, you know, making history as a, one of the youngest players to score over 20 points in the playoff game or in the Eastern Conference Final Series. He averaged about 20 points. Um, and then again, they have Jimmy Butler, who's been a dog, who's been a leader for them um on and off the court and they kind of just rally around him he might not um, need to get you the 25 or the 20s but you know, he's going to get his rebounds he's going to secure the ball on defense and you know um lock guys down uh but yeah i think it's going to be a, a a really um gritty battle uh but yeah the lakers are going to come out on top with the, the experience that they have and anthony davis's hunger to you know chase that ring that he's been coveting for so long yeah i think um Playing in playing for the New Orleans Pelicans and no disrespect to them, they're step. I'm sure they have stellar fans and they have a nice stadium and you know the start starting to build a culture there with Zion Williamson and Lonzo Ball and all these good guys, Drew Holiday, a lot of good players. But um, being in New Orleans can only get you so far, and I think. That that strive and that want to be a champion to have that ring for someone like anthony davis who is i believe again people have slept on a very long very long time me included just recently i really i mean he's always been a good player but i don't think until he's been on the lakers i've really truly assessed who, how, who he is as a player and at times he really does seem unstoppable on the basketball court you, you're telling me this is a guy who's nearly seven feet tall seven one almost when he has shoes on and he's jumping, shooting threes, being able to back you down, being able to pull up, being able to do a, a number of things, being able to block you, being spectacular on defense, and yeah, we have that guy uh, being paired up with one of the greatest of all time period in LeBron James, so again, in my prediction, I think this will go six games similar to Alex, but I think we will have a very much more dominant, um, we will see a much more dominant player. Uh, Player and LeBron James, and also in Anthony Davis, and in several interviews, or just several, you know, when LeBron or Anthony Davis talk about this team, uh, from the very start, I feel like it was known that this is Anthony Davis's team, and it's his uh, journey and his opportunity to really push the Lakers to be champions, and I think he will ultimately do that. Some things outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James that I would like to uh, focus on, and for the Lakers to focus on, I love the way Dwight Howard has been playing. Um, Throughout the regular season, he got minutes here and there, and he was kind of seen as the 10 and 10 guy, 10 points, 10 rebounds. But um, as of late in a lot of interviews are just the way he plays. He's still being aggressive, and he's that veteran leader that the Lakers need. You know, they have a lot of veteran leaders for these young guys, for the Kyle Kuzmas and the Alex Carusos, and a lot of these guys to look up to. Um, And I think Dwight Howard can really be that essential piece to kind of really push these guys together on top of the – um awesome talent and, and expertise and experience that lebron has that rondo has he's also an nba champion lebron's an nba champion there's so many guys who have have been there before who are champions but i do think that uh, dwight howard uh can be that next guy and be that veteran leader for them and just a quick little side note not really a joking matter but i think the ac show must go on it must continue he needs to be that spark plug he's always been and i have no doubt there's no doubt in my mind that he won't continue to do that but with someone as electric and as um, riled up and as energetic and as great as Jimmy Butler is, I think it's AC's responsibility to like be at that level. Because as Alex said, Jimmy Butler's a dog. He's gonna fight for every play. He's gonna fight for every loose ball. He's gonna fight until the end. It doesn't matter. So I think that's what AC needs to do. And one quick thing: I know we've seen it very briefly in the playoffs. Kyle Kuzma absolutely needs to produce in the finals otherwise it will be that much harder for the lakers to ultimately win i think uh in the last series against denver he didn't show as much as he needed to he was great on defense at times but he wasn't making the right shots at times he was having bad shot selection that's you know that's just him as a player everyone grows he's still you know this is his third year into his nba career he's a lot to learn he has lebron around him ad rajan rondo all these guys but i do think when he's coming off the bench he needs to produce and if he produces that will be the final touches to a laker championship any other input um, no, I think I'm gonna have to co sign and agree with them all of your points. I do say that, um, you know, your last point about Kyle Kuzma, you know, needing to step up. I do agree. Um, he hasn't started and when he has to do the, you know, side lightning injuries, or you know, the main guys they want out there, are just i not able to be out there. But he has been able to, you know, contribute here and there. But yeah, his stroke needs to come back. He needs to work on his jumper, his three game, his three ball needs to be there. His open looks, when he does get them, they just need to go down for him. It's not the time to be missing. So I agree with that. Uh, he hasn't been, um, you know, necessarily producing or, you know, just being uh, the guy for shots. At times, they do. They have been looking at other where, other places, other ways to get it done. Um, away from him but yeah that can't be the case when finals uh, finals times because they are going to need um everybody for a shot and you know it just it could be you kind of thing yeah but so. definitely could be him it was him at, it was him at several points throughout the entire player front and he didn't have it but i'm hoping he's focused he's concentrated and he will be that guy for the lakers so on video on audio on record the alan Dre show our final prediction will be: the Los Angeles Lakers will be 2020 NBA champions by a by a score, uh, by a series score of four games to two. I think Miami again can get two game two Ws out of the Lakers, but ultimately the Lakers will win. So there you have it, folks. That it, that was the Lakers season review, regular season and playoff review. Now, anything just you did want to uh, touch also on that? Maybe some highlighted uh, players or certain matchup with certain teams, or just need to let us know about that. But that was our review for the Lakers season and what we are looking towards for the finals and our preview matchup against the Miami Heat. Now we will be moving on to our f- f- favorite baseball team the one and only in the city of los angeles the city that bleeds blue the city that is and always will be the city of angels but not in that way because the anaheim angels are not los angeles that being said we will be discussing the one and only the los angeles dodgers and ultimately for all of baseball i would like to start off by saying that I would know. Um, I think you would agree that this was a fairly odd season to yes, begin. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Um. So ultimately, we're used to having 162 games, 162 spectacular baseball games for all of baseball fans to enjoy from early May to late September to early October if your team's there. But unfortunately, because of uh the pandemic and people wanting to be safe, we were only able to get a 60 game season, which is you know, it's it was. I, I enjoyed the season. How would you feel about it? Yeah, no, I think the games were condensed, and, you know, they mattered that much more. But I think towards the end there, especially with the races heating up and, you know, um, the postseason teams that were getting ready, they you know, they knew it meant time, you know, to start prepping and getting the guys ready. And, you know, just that much more important to strategize and, you know, get ready early and, you know, be ready to, you know, face the – I guess throw your best pitch out there, you know, get your game plan ready and go out there for – You know another uh, another day at bat, but uh, yeah i do think that with the less games to play that it doesn't get it gives way less time to you know maybe slack off or you know be ill-prepared because there's no time for that because once playoffs start all the good teams are there everybody that um is there that work to be there they want to be there they've earned every right of it and you know i think just in this kind of season you know i think it's even more of a reason to you know get after it and you don't know, want to be the champion so. yeah so for those of you who don't know it was a shortened season due to the pandemic and on top of that um I guess to I guess just help teams out or just to get maybe more fans in attendance or more eyes on the MLB what the MLB decided as a league is they expanded the playoffs what that means is they were um, they initially I believe it's 12 teams I believe right 12 teams that make the postseason from uh, throughout the um, MLB in its entirety and they expanded I believe to 18 teams so that's uh, a little over half the league was able to make playoffs, and in my humble opinion, very quickly. I don't know if that was necessarily good, but hey, more playoff baseball means more fans than attend, uh, more fans watching, and uh, that much more postseason magic and postseason. Um, you know, a lot of more, a lot more postseason fun. That being said, um, the postseason uh, what's what the Dodgers have been, you know. At this point they're regulars since for the past four years they've been easily dominant within the nl west in their division uh they just um as of yesterday clinched their eighth straight nl West title they're the first uh they have the best overall record in the entire mlb they were able to secure the number one seed in the playoffs and ultimately they were just very dominant it was almost as if they had 162 games to prepare but they had ticked the games to prepare and ultimately it was just you know a lot of dominance from the Dodgers yeah definitely good with that from the offensive you know uh, games where you had those 12 um runs to three or like the defense the defensive pitching a uh, game some you know you see Dustin May out there or Clayton Kershaw unfortunately Walker, B- Walker Bueller has been dealing with some hand blister injury so he hasn't been out there as much but yeah our bats have been really coming to play and then the addition of of Mookie Betts have just been paying wonders for us immensely yes. on defense and offense. Shout out to Mookie Betts, a successful trade. I, I, I'm I, very happy with the trade, and to know that he's going to be with us for another 12 years is very exciting. He's a superb baseball player. I'm a great guy, so I'm happy he's going to be in Dodger Blue for a very long time. So on to the team leaders. <laughs> team leaders. So baseball, the way it works a little differently, is we have several categories to cover first being the batting average so that means very briefly um, every time the purse the guy comes up to hit how often are they going to get a hit so for the batting average leaders for the Dodgers number one the one and only the orange beard the Long Beach King Justin Turner he had the best team batting average with a point 307 how do you feel about Justin Turner this season um, I felt that he's been uh, productive for us. I haven't uh, really enjoyed seeing him sideline for so long, especially with the shortened season. Um, I do believe it was a hamstring that got him, or that's been nagging him here and there. Um, but it's obviously we know he can hit the ball. He's been doing the force for quite some time, from the homers to you know the the left side droppers, with the single hops, or you know just hitting it right in the gap where nobody can get to it. Uh, but, yeah, his bat's been there. But, um, yeah, I'm just a little reluctant to see him getting injured on an off getting up there in age and the Dodgers, Dodgers' reluctance to actually pay him, unfortunately. So it just uh, sucks to see that. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the bad side of the front office at times. The Dodgers are so good for so long, but they're also very quick to – it almost feels like a revolving door sometimes with the guys that they have, you know. Um, I think it was when the Dodgers clinched, I believe, on Saturday it was or – saturday when they did clinch it was very uh odd to me and uh it was a broadcaster i don't know if it was uh um i think it might have been uh oral actually um and he was like oh the the only two remaining players that were still on the dodgers since they first started their eighth their since the first division title they won up until the eighth straight division title the only players that were still on the team were uh kenley jansen and clayton kershaw and that just took that took me back because, you know, I I love the Dodgers that they have a lot of stellar players and yeah, it sucks to see any of them go, but again, that's just the side of baseball that not a lot of people like, but you know, it's still good to see and hopefully J T can stay with us for the rest of his career, you know, he deserves that at least. He's been with us for so long. He's been a very productive guy. He's also helped the Los Angeles community in a lot of ways. So he's just a very superb guy. But, yeah, we hope he stays healthy. We hope he, um, you know, pinches in the playoffs and just does a lot for us moving forward in the playoffs. Next would be the lever boy of a lot for a lot of people. And, no, I'm not talking about Cody Bellinger, but I'm talking about uh, Corey Seager. He uh, tied for first in batting average. But with a 307 batting average, Corey's your boy. You got Corey Seager socks. How'd I you finally do? How do you feel? How'd your boy do this season? Um, he's just been on fire, man. I mean, I'm I'm really glad. Um, it's just been sucks to see him go down, like I said previously, for all of last season with his a terrible, terrible knee injury. Unfortunately for that. Um, but just seeing seen him come back. Uh, has just been stellar. Like I said, hitting the freaking uh, seams off the baseball bat, um, making plays defensively. But yeah, I've just been really impressed with his batting average. As you see, 307. Um, his ribbies have been up there. He's just making all the right plays. Really been clutch hitting for us. Um, and yeah, i just really glad to see him getting hit, hitting the ball. Because he's been on the defensive bit um, tip for um, a bit now because part of his rehab. But they want to get you out there on the field, moving your body, working, especially where his injury was at. But um. Um, unfortunately, a lot of, as a lot of guys know that you don't want really to get that feeling of hitting until you're in a game because even live BP is something different, but for him to have all that time off to not really see those live pitches, but just still get out, get after it. And, um, once when Mookie wasn't having his days or, you know, Cody's been unfortunately slumping this season, he's been the guy for us. So I mean, yeah, definitely that him. guy. And I think even before, I mean, I would, I would think a lot of people and, uh, I think a lot of people prior to Cody really flourishing and being the, you know, amazing beast that he is on the baseball field. I think a lot of people saw uh, Corey as that number one guy alongside JT at times. And for him to really flourish like this, I think is great for him and great for the team. Uh, next would be your boy, the newest addition for the Dodgers, Mookie Betts. He came in uh, second and, or third in batting average with a batting average of two ninety two. So that's a little... Uh, under the 300 mark, so he's hitting pretty well. Um, Mookie also as uh, le- close to leading the Dodgers in home runs, very briefly or just however long you're gonna take. How did Mookie do in your eyes? Um, I thought he made a very big impact, a very huge impact, uh, his first year here. Um, you know, off of the trade. I think I think he knew in the back of his mind that uh... you know they paid a lot of big bucks for him, so that um, he needed to come to bring his A game, his play, because. um obviously you know they had their you know intents to keep him here for long term just what he has been doing he is you know a world series champion so he has it under his belt um but yeah it's just been great to see a lot of signs of pointing positively toward you know him continually do this he's very young especially you know in the uh profession of baseball where they you know prioritize you know of getting up there in age and you know lasting a long time you you could be 50 and play i'm just kidding i mean at the mob no but you can probably play in your 50s if you wanted to but yes baseball you can be older and play for a very long time you can easily play into your 30s late 40s kind of thing not late 40s excuse me Uh, early 30s late 30s kind of thing maybe even in your 40s you know, and uh, it's stellar. So I'm agree. I'm in agreement with Alex that it'll be a pleasure to again continue to see Mookie Betts shine, and hopefully this pushes through the playoffs. For a lot of Dodger fans, playoffs are almost uh, the boogeyman at times with um, how the lack of success we've been having. But we won't get into the Houston. Um, I just have to briefly mention them because they are. Basura, but we won't, uh, that's the last of that. And last but not least, to round out the batting average leaders for the team, is going to be the catcher Will Smith batting a two How do you feel Will Smith did this season? Um, Honestly, I felt that uh, he was kind of one of the guys that just blended in just a tad bit. Um, he was, you know, I think trying to get his groove back because we, he's had that, you know... Yeah, he just been like really in the middle of the pack there, but he's been solid for us. I think... You know, catching for a lot of people. Um, and just defensively, just being the guy. So. Yeah, Will Smith, uh, rookie last year. Uh, played a lot last year. He's now starter this year. Ta- uh, switches with Austin Barnes. I think he's really, I think he's going to be our set catcher for a, for a good while. Uh, hopefully he stays with us if they don't trade him or anything like that. But he's a very good A uh, hitter. He knows how to be productive. He's a good catcher. He catches for Clayton. I even think he catches for Walker. So, you know he's that guy, and I'm glad to see him kind of really elevate um, his elevate his uh, batting average and just continue to become a better hitter. So now hits, you know those uh, swing of the bat and uh, getting a base hit, doubles, triples, hits. The leader for uh, no no surprise for hits, the leader in hits for this year would be Cordy Seeger with 65 hits, very similar to batting average. Then we have Mookie Betts, 64 hits. And then we have AJ Pollock, who we have not mentioned yet, with fifty-four hits. So, in the hits category, um, what's your takeaway as far as hits go, and where did you, uh, was there something you weren't expecting, something you weren't expecting as far as the uh, hits, the hits leaders for this team? Uh, no, I am uh, kind of you know surprised that it is such a close tie between the two, that Mookie was kind of taking it out of the water compared to, you know, how he usually hits. And also, you know, just Corey having a stellar year and really a breakout or, you know, come back from the injury and everything. So I'm just surprised about how close they are. But, uh, yeah, if I, you were to ask in the beginning of the season if it would be one of the two or two people, it would be them too. It would be Mookie Betts or Corey Seeker to lead in hits, for sure. Yeah, so uh, his first mention of the podcast far, A.J. Pollock, um, he had 54 hits and he's also I think he's a, a big power hitter for us um we didn't see a lot of him yeah, last a lot of strikeouts unfortunately a lot of those but yeah of but you know that's uh, that's the double-edged sword you have with power hitters you know unfortunately but you know he's that power hitter we've kind of needed at times very similar to jock Peterson last year a lot of high strikeouts but also bombs upon bombs upon bombs and AJ Pollock was also been that force this season with 54 hits a stellar hitter you know last season he was dealing with nagging injury so he wasn't there to the best of his capabilities i feel like but this season he's done a lot better and i think he's going to continue to get better into playoffs and hopefully he can be the left fielder center fielder outfielder that we need to kind of push you know push the dodgers into playoff mode i think a lot of these guys they're very productive and they know what they're doing but it all comes down to what they're going to do come playoff time because a lot of the fans including myself i'm really just ready to really see them in playoffs and really flourish in the playoffs i know prior to last season when we ultimately got knocked out of the first round to the ultimate champions which is uh a half waste compliment i guess but you know we ultimately lost in the first round to the nationals And then prior to that, we got cheated. Uh, Ultimately, I believe Boston also cheated. They didn't get reprimanded, and and they weren't seen as harsh as Houston. But, you know, we potentially got cheated out of two World Series. And I'm not even saying we would have flat out won because, you know, who knows? The game of baseball is very mysterious in a lot of ways. But, yeah, just as a fan of the Dodgers, I think it's a lot, and I'm just really expecting – regular season's nice, but I'm really expecting a big jump come playoff time. Would you agree? Uh, Yeah, I definitely would uh, hopefully, uh, you know, hope to see that. I do think that, you know, I think there needs a a switch that needs to be hit for the players. Because, unfortunately, I think they do hit maybe cruise control, especially. Maybe not right now, but I think especially in the past, they've hit cruise control, you know, just waiting for playoffs to start. Especially those years where they clinched it earlier, they just, you know, blowing past everybody and they're just waiting to get there. Uh, So I don't want to see them, you know take any days off you know take it easy because they have that uh, you know clinch spot and you know they're just waiting to see who they play but rather get after every day you know game plan for kind of every opponent that you might might be facing or you know if you have a deal of who you may be facing just start preparing now and just get in the mindset of you know every um, baseball game is important at least the next one that you play if it's uh come postseason so yep every game is important every game is very important especially in playoffs but if you really just keep the mentality of every game being important every day I think that really helps them and I think I know uh, we both said like hey they kind of need to hit that switch I think for a lot of them they have that's where you're seeing this continued success from a lot of these guys but you know I think they need to really if the switch isn't already on turn it on and if it is on then go into hyper mode overdrive kind of thing because it, it wouldn't it'd be nice to see you know and I think they're gonna really push and 60 games isn't a lot so you know that's also something to consider when they're used to having over a hundred games to play but You know, that's neither here nor there. I'm just glad that they're, you know, they're starting to fire on all cylinders. And they're just, as a team, doing very well. Next are the home runs. Everybody loves them. That's when the ball goes out of here. So for the home run leaders, uh, we got three main guys. It's going to be Mookie Betts, who leads it off with 16 home runs. For a team high. Next going is uh, next and tied for first place is AJ Pollock with 16 home runs. Then in third you're going to have Corey Seager with 15 home runs. And the number four spot, a lot of, he has yet to be mentioned. Uh, unfortunately, he's actually struggling quite a bit this season, but he was able to elevate the ball and bust some bombs out of is at bats and that's going to be max muncie who hit 12 home runs so from these four guys um is there anything surprising or anything you would like to mention uh no I don't say anything that is surprising to me yeah i um, expected that yeah definitely Ma- max muncie hitting i close to 40 home runs last season i uh 12 home runs isn't really surprised for me Uh, Again, I briefly mentioned his slump is actually what surprised me more. He's currently still slumping, but again, I'm glad he was able to elevate the ball and get it out of the ballpark. And the other three guys they have just been our core hitters for us. Mookie, AJ, and Corey. Those are some really good uh, baseball players, and I'm glad they're able to contribute in that way. Next is going to be... Our struggles. So, we talked about a lot of the positive uh, players on our team the AJ pollux the Mookie Bats, the Chris Taylor's, the Corey Seegers, but out onto our struggles. So, as I uh, just mentioned, Max Muncie has been struggling pretty mightily. He currently, uh, up until Monday, had a batting average of 192. So, 90% of the time, he is making out. Other than that, he's striking out or getting out. He has 60 strikeouts, which leads the team, 39 hits, and again, 12 home runs, which is good. But, um, out of the rest of that, obviously very poor um what were your expectations of max this coming into the season and now through his slump how do you feel he can improve or what are your comments on max um i just think because of like the type of hitter that he is or the powerball hitter like he needs his location spots um maybe they're maybe getting a little better taste of him you know a better chance to see him you know where they can't necessarily leave the ball or his weaker spots or maybe they're again just used to facing him a little bit more so they able to they hit him where he can't hit the ball, or he struggles to hit the ball, or he uh, maybe is decision making, he's uh, choking his bat mechanic, or he changed that up a bit, or those batting coaches told him something, or maybe he needs to look back at the film to you know see where the swings at or where he had it beforehand. But yeah, I don't know, really, can't really tell you where to pinpoint the struggle, but to see him you know have that low of the batting average along with the strikeouts with the hits is you know rather you know. Uh, troubling, you know, I would say. Yeah, it's say troubling. It's troubling, but especially where he hits in the lineup and where we've seen him hit before, and where we need him to, you know, produce. And uh, yeah, just being uh, put, putting him up there, you know, feeling for the walk rather than, you know, look, seems to be strikeout is what he's doing more as of late. So, yeah, and uh, and I only say it's a struggle for Max because you know if he wasn't this guy who was able to almost hit 40 home runs in a season and you know be a, a cleanup or even a five hitter to now like maybe a 876 hitter who is struggling to put the ball in play and stri- striking out a lot um it just f- so far removed from what he was last season so that's again the biggest fear for me is that you know he's slumping but i think he can go back into last year last year's maximum so he's just going to take him a little time and hopefully sooner rather than later cuz playoffs start this weekend so, next would be Kike Hernandez. He's a fan favorite, very funny guy, very nice guy, very mustachio mustache guy, I would say. A lot of, he knows how to definitely, he knows how to uh, style a mustache in many ways. Very cool guy. But he had a batting average uh, better than Max Muncy's, but um only a little. He was, had a batting average of 220, and he had an on-base percentage of 270. He only had 32 hits and five home runs. So, um, for me, the struggle more so is the, I think the lack of ball in play. A lot of the games I've seen him in, it's a lot of hit or miss. He's either popping out or he's hitting directly into a fielder or he just, you know, not getting the ball where it needs to be, but he still has that defensive prowess. Um, absolutely. He's a stellar close to gold glove, um, fielder. He's a, uh, platoon guy utility guy he can go pretty much anywhere you put him on the field so he contributes a lot but yeah just from the batting perspective i think he struggled and that he just needs to improve next would be um the other sweetheart who isn't named cory seager that would be cody bellinger for anybody who's been watching any bit of baseball this is far removed from the no mvp gold glover uh, uh slugger golden slugger award all that stuff Batter to now a I would say rather average even maybe even struggling batter in Cordy Seeger, who's had a batting average of 239 and only 12 home runs. That being said, how do you feel about Cody uh, Cody Bellinger, and do you think he can turn it around? I would hope you say yes, but if not, why don't you think it's too? Why do you, do you think it's too much for him, or what's going on? Well, he was awarded the Silver Slugger, so I'm no. just you know. Silver Slugger. Excuse me. Yeah, so he was awarded the Silver Slugger as well as the Rookie of the uh and rookie of the year um a couple seasons ago but um yeah i was just definitely disappointed and just to see that you know 239 is the average as supremely low to where we are used to seeing them up in the three ranges even close to fours um so i think again it's maybe not as much you know as i was talking about with um jt is like the injuries uh, but maybe it's more of a mental thing i think a, a lot of these guys that the mental aspect of baseball you know and i alex and i were discussing like the first few weeks of the baseball season like i think it is a lot for like any professional athlete but especially baseball just any sport to not have your fans there i think for a lot of us who have been to dodger games or been to dodger stadium it's a completely different atmosphere going in itself is its own uh, i would say it's its own attraction just being just being able to say hey i went to dodger stadium with its own environment and not having that i think can mentally affect a lot of players, and I think that's what it is for Cody, because, you know, I think he's a very social guy. He's a very personable guy, personable guy so I think that's what it could be, if you would agree. Um, yeah, I would say that, like, that's part of it, but I think mainly the, the mentality part of it for me is maybe um, not really being super engaged as maybe, like, a regular full season or a full, you know, 182 games. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be where my the mentality comes from that, of maybe not fully Focused in, or maybe not been fully focusing on, you know, where he's messing up, because there's been issues in the past where Dave Roberts has had to mention before for, you know, not taking place too seriously, or you know, not necessarily having his get in the his head in the game when it'd be games where they've clinched. Clearly, they've clinched, and you know, these are games that are meaningless. But you know, he's out there half running or giving up uh, b- um, base hits on, you know, very basic plays. So it could be again a mental thing, but uh, maybe not fully checked in or fully aware, and, or he just wants to wait till. You know he needs it, but yeah, I, I'm not too sure. I can't pinpoint exactly what the uh, struggle is on, but I would say maybe it's the mentality thing. I've not Very prepared. valid point. I did forget that, folks, the, the benching of Cody Bellinger. He's a, he's a lot of people's fan favorites, but yes, you also have to uh, be aware of the faults of every player and, you know, just every person in general. And last but not least, the jock pop, jock Peterson, the great Hambino... The cool guy with the glasses, the, I don't know, the nickname he has, but I call him Jock Pop, so we will say Jock Pop. Jock Peterson, he is struggling uh, very similarly to Max Muncy with a batting average of 190. If I'm not mistaken, that is the lowest on the team for anybody who's played over um, 30 games. He only has seven home runs and his on-base percentage is 285. So 20% of the time he's getting on base, he is not getting on on base any other time. So yeah, he's been struggling as well. But again, um, he's very similar to AJ Pollock and a lot of these other power hitters that if he's not hitting it out of the park, then he's not doing much with it. So I think, again, he just needs to get engaged. And a lot of these guys come playoffs they need to you know turn that switch on as we've been saying now on to my favorite part of baseball and a lot of people's but my favorite part would be pitching we have some stellar pitching on this team uh prior to the uh, prior to the season a lot of people were very antsy about our bullpen that we have and the starters not knowing what what our five man rotation is going to be stuff like that But we had a very good season. We had Clayton Kershaw being phenomenal as usual. We had Julio Urias really showing his starter capability and really uh, honing in on his craft and and becoming a better starting pitcher. We had Dustin May, who a lot of you remember was a rookie who got called up midway last season, but he was now called up fully this season. He was put out a starter he showed a lot of promise he had a lot of stellar games he was able to do what needed to be done we also were able to get walker bueller who you know unfortunately had some injuries but when he played man was he on he was spectacular we also had tony Gonzalin, the cat man the cool guy with the cat pajamas he probably has cat pajamas i'm sure and then last but not least Uh, We had our relievers, but we'll get back to We'll start with just the starting pitchers. So, out of the five guys that we had starting for most of the season, who was your favorite? Um, I would say, for me, my favorite is just seeing Clayton Kershaw go out there and do his thing, like kind of over and over again every season, just going out there, seeing that curveball do his work or that fastball hit the location that it needs to, or, you know, the two-seamer making its movements and things like that. But, yeah, I just love to see it there. Our main guy go out there because he's been the Dodger boy for some time now. Everyone's saying, "Can he really get it done? Because he has the stuff. He he's electric. He's dynamite. He can, you know, strike anybody out with the goods. But can he really get over the hump? And so, waiting to see. So, you know, our guy CK out there getting uh, his K is out there getting getting him up. That's all we can ask for. But we just need to see it in playoffs. So, that'd be my favorite. Just seeing him, seeing uh, you know Clayton uh, chop him up and knock him down. So that was very special for me. For me personally, I enjoyed watching. Although very limited, Walker bueller I think he is the one. At this point, he might even be the one of the two punch. But the one two punch that the Dodgers have, he has an, an a stellar fastball, almost hitting the ninety nine one hundred regularly. He is, you know, he's he's a competitor. He's aggressive. He knows when to turn that switch on. Uh, any chance he's gotten in any sort of situation last season and even in uh, this season the limited uh, starts he's gotten he when it's time to shine he shines whether that's a world series uh, when he starts a world series game or a playoff game he just knows when to be on and he is currently my favorite player so it was nice to see him go out there but unfortunate that he is having issues with thing uh, with blisters, those don't hurt for anybody, but especially somebody who works with their hands and throws for a living. So, that wasn't too stellar, but um yeah, the starters ultimately did very well. Um, we had Clayton Kershaw who went six and two in ten starts. He had six quality starts. He had a low ERA of 2.16. He was able to get strike out 62 guys. He was only he only gave up six forty one 41 hits. He gave up eight walks and. He gave up eight home runs, and he he only had uh 14 earned runs on him. So you know, uh, as Alex said, very uh, usual, very predictable, very awesome season for regular, awesome regular season for Clayton Kershaw. Next we had Julio Urias, who was three and zero in 10 starts, a lot of uh, no decisions, but in his 10 starts he was able to get four quality starts. His ERA a little bit uh, more than Clayton's, but still relatively well for a starter. He had an ERA of 3.27. He had 45 strikeouts. He also unfortunately gave up 18 walks. He gave up five home runs and 20 earned runs. So you know there is room for improvement there as far as giving up runs, but you know it's it was nice to see him do his thing as a starter for being from someone who was being who was in the bullpen for so long. It's nice to see him start. And then next we have Dustin May. How um how was Dustin looking this season? Oh, Dustin actually had uh, a official record of three wins and one loss Intense ten uh, actual starts. They only jotted down that he had three quality starts. He uh, finished with their earned run average or ERA of 2.57. He accumulated or totaled a total of 44 strikeouts. Um he finished up with 16 walks gave up nine home runs, and finished uh, his season with 16 earned runs. So just by uh, those numbers in particular, um, it's kind of hard to gauge, especially with um, a rookie pitcher coming in. You don't really know where they're necessarily going to land at on, on the st- statistical categories. But, uh, you know, you see that his uh, uh, runs are actually a bit further down than Julio um, Julio, and a couple of other starters. Um, and the ZRA is right where you love to see it, along the 2-5 range. Um, yeah, know not too many quality starts as they stay there but uh you know him going out there and just being present and you know giving a good innings is what we need him for so and next we had walker buehler who unfortunately didn't play as uh, didn't start as many games as we would have liked him to due to injury but he tallied a 1-0 and uh, he tallied a record of 1-0 and in eight starts and he was able to uh, pick up a quality start uh, he had an ERA of 3.44. He definitely got 40. He definitely got his strikeouts worth with 42. He um, tallied 11 walks, only gave up seven home runs and 14 earned runs. So you know a lot of the same stuff from Walker. Um, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of great fastball movement. It's a lot of strikeouts. Um, not as many like not as many walks as you'd like to see, but you know still relatively low for the strikeouts he has. And the low number of home runs he gave up is always a good thing. Definitely, definitely. So. And then last but not least, for the starters, we have Tony Gonsolin, the Cat Guy, who actually was even in his win loss record uh, with, by going two and two in eight starts. He earned three quality starts. He uh, tallied an ERA of two point three one, so uh, third lowest on second lowest on the team. Forty six strikeouts. So you know very close to the lead um but you know so he had a, a good amount of strikeouts he walked uh, only seven batters he only gave two home runs and was able to keep their earned runs to a low of 12. so now that we have the starters i think we both uh, are pretty pleased with the starters they did a lot of good stuff uh, throughout the season but uh, I think coming into this season, the stars weren't really the issue. It was more so the rotation and how these guys were going to play. But the stars did what they needed to do. That being said, we're now moving over to the bullpen or the relievers, which is where we had some of our issues throughout the season. So before we get in, before we name any names and uh, you know pick on anybody per se. Oh, overall, how do you feel the relievers did? Um, I might say there's, like, a lot of new names that needed to, uh, you know, go ahead and see and make names for themselves. Very true. After transactions and things of that sort. So I couldn't I'd necessarily say if I had a, you know, outlook or perception or necessarily, like, a formula that they had to follow. But I just wanted to see them, you know, uh, see what they can do out there. You know, if they're able to, you know, be put it, be put into those tough situations where we can't necessarily give up a run or, like, we, you know, really need these outs or, you know, to... Uh yeah, you really need to make those plays that relievers need to. So uh, there was really no formula, or anyone or anything to judge them by. But yeah, so far, um, so good. There was a couple of instances where I didn't like necessarily some of the management movements, of part of the movement of pitchers or who to put out there. But that's you, Jake McGee, baby. Where are you supposed to be, huh? So yeah, I just didn't like some of those instances. But overall, I do, I do think the new addition of training is training is also. Um, a big benefit to us. you had to hopefully wait and see if it for it to play out. But uh, yeah, there was really no other than the slight surprise of uh, Bruisedder Gratterall. Yes, uh, that would be Bruzdard Gratterall, who we re- who we acquired from the Minnesota Twins in exchange for Kent Maeda and I think a couple other farm players. I wanted to, Rich Hill also went to Minnesota, but that was through the free trade, uh, through the free agency, um, not through trading him. But yeah, so he was also very stellar. A lot of a lot of names, a lot of guys. But um, I think the main two guys for the relievers would be as Alex said, Blake Trinian. He was able to cut even on the wins losses. He had an ERA of 3.86, 22 strikeouts, only gave up eight walks. He gave up a homer. He gave up 11 earned runs. He was able to tally nine holds, and a save, and all that on 25 innings pitched. So you know that's a lot of action for a reliever. So yeah, I think he was able to settle himself in and kind of do what he typically does. But uh, not like Trinning. But I do I would like to say the best reliever for this season was most likely, even in a lot of less outings, was Victor Gonzalez. I know a lot of you who may not have been watching. Uh, recently or just a lot of the season victor gonzalez came was a rather late addition i believe he got called up and he has been stellar since he's been put in the game he was he's tallied a 3-0 three wins no losses he has a sub-2 era of one 22 strikeouts no home runs only three earned runs only two walks two holds and all of this was on 20 innings pitched So, you could be saying, oh, well, he only has that sub-two area because he hasn't faced a lot of guys. Well, this is on 20 innings pitched, and he was like the number 2-3 guy in the rotation. So, he definitely proved his worth, and I'm excited to see him in postseason. And I do think he is going to do very well for the Dodgers coming out of the bullpen. And last but not least, a lot of uh, my personal favorite uh, closer, if I had any other, which would be Kenley. Jansen, uh, Kenley had a, uh, I think, okay season. Definitely not what we're used to seeing out of the, you know, someone who I see Kenley as someone who can definitely shut is shut down closer when he's in the game. You know, the game's over kind of thing. Very similar to Rollie Chapman. Unfortunately, Rollie Chapman has championships, but Kenley hopefully will have one pretty soon. But Kenley Jansen, in 27 appearances and 24 innings pitched, he was able to tally a record of three wins, one losses. He had 11 saves, and he had an ERA of 3.33, so straight threes. 33 strikeouts and another set of threes. Nine walks, he only gave up two home runs and only gave up nine earned runs. So I know in a couple instances against the Padres, for example, he wasn't able to maintain the lead, and they ultimately lost... A couple games because of of his pitching but i do think that he's going to get better and just you know uh last season it was it was a mechanical uh issue with his arm and where the ball was placed and uh, you know he's had heart issues in the past which is you know a lot bigger than you know just a baseball so hopefully he's keeping that under control but you know i'm excited to see him in the playoffs and really show what he's about um come playoff time yeah definitely i would agree that uh It has been, you know, kind of a a worry just for, uh, I think, Dodger fans to, you know, hear and know that, you know, he has, you know, off-field. They choose definitely regarding his heart, which is serious for anybody, but especially, you know um there's the heart condition that he's had as a child i mean obviously if you didn't follow them close you wouldn't know but um he's actually dealt with you know um, a heart uh, issue um for some time now he's had a couple surgeries um to deal with it it's mainly a upper respiratory um a valve in his heart that basically malfunctions and they need to go in there um especially um it actually was erupted when uh, they went up to colorado to play that's when one of his first major um setbacks occurred so you know it just sucks to hear um i just you know always scared that something might like that might happen but he's been uh, able to play with no news of that and you know just you know he's ready to bring it like i said i think they're all on the mentality of you know wait to get there but we need to you know get into gear now and you know become um especially with the shorter season you know bringing the a game every game and you know every pitch is the last so yes so that was your dodger news so I'm, I will not do it as good as Vince Scully, not that I ever could. But that was time for Dodger Baseball. And we thank you, and we look forward to keep follow, keeping you guys followed with the postseason. And we're looking forward to the first uh, divisional series and wildcard playoffs. So we will hear from you guys very soon in regards to the Dodgers. And, yeah, we will keep you guys posted. Definitely. what's going on everybody it is your boy andre and yes the hateration is about to start i can already hear it in alex's breathing yes we will be covering the las vegas raiders i know sounds weird i'm still getting used to it myself but hey they are now the las vegas raiders and might i just say to this point i would say we're having a pretty spectacular season we are now uh have a record of we are now two and one two wins one loss i would say two pretty big wins one pretty big loss unfortunately but i think we are heading in the right direction we are currently second in the afc west mind you in a division with the super bowl champions Kansas city Chiefs, a tough team in the los angeles chargers a kind of tough team in the Denver Broncos, and you're surely the Las Vegas Raiders. So, it's a very tough division. I think any one of those four teams could potentially make playoffs, although Denver's kind of wetting the bed in pretty much every game they've played so far. But, you know, that's Denver. Denver's going to Denver. That being said, um, uh, like I said, the Vegas Raiders are 2-1, and one, and their first win came against the Carolina Panthers, who was recently under the head of baylor head coach is now the head coach for the loss for the carolina panthers and they're also under the new guide of teddy bridgewater they now carolina panther quarterback who's formerly the new orleans saints quarterback and the vegas raiders went into carolina and ultimately got the victory by a score of 34 to 30 with very with many key defensive stops throughout the game um, Derek Carr was spot on. You know, I think this is definitely Derek Carr's year. Um, I'm not going to say MVP or anything like that because, you know, there are some pretty superb quarterbacks in the league. Um, Patrick Mahomes, you know, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, all those guys. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to be like, a, oh, just a Raiders fan. You know, Derek Carr can be a very productive quarterback this year. He showed that in Week 1 he was able to go 22 for 30, only dropping... Uh, seven uh, passes. Uh, He was able to throw for 239 yards with a touchdown pass and he had a rating of 107.5. So that's very good. Now rushing your boy the honestly I believe could have potentially been the rookie offensive rookie of the year for uh, last season but Josh Jacobs he on 25 carries he was able to get almost a hundred yards and he got 93 yards and he was able to get three rushing touchdowns so very awesome and terrific game for Josh Jacobs I wouldn't expect nothing less um, in my belief for the Raiders when Josh Jacobs is on the Raiders are on when he's turned on the Raiders are turned on and when he's not having that will of a game a the Raiders are not necessarily having that great of a game but i do believe they're getting better in that respect and as far as the rushing for the week one win um excuse me the receiving for the week one win we had henry ruggs the third the uh number first round pick for the raiders he was able to snag three receptions for 55 yards including a deep bomb from Derek carr that almost led to a touchdown uh he uh josh jacobs who's a you know dual quarterback was also able to snag four receptions for 46 yards so you know he's just a little bit all around the field and doing what needs to be done and darren waller mind you i believe a top five tight end in this division he was superb last season um for fantasy or just in general uh for football fans so i think he can have another superb season uh with in pairing with Derek Carr I think they have very a great connection and Derek Carr knows how to throw to him and Der- and Darren Waller was able to have six receptions of for 45 yards from the defensive standpoint very, uh, a lot of key stops but there weren't any key um I don't think there were any key plays from one specific person I know towards the end of the game Mac- Max Crosby really turned on the Jets so the defensive line stopped um Teddy Bridgewater a couple times uh, but I think the star for that game was Josh. Uh, was Jonathan Abrams with 13 total tackles, and he was able to get a tackle for a loss. As a non-Raider fan, how did you feel the week one victory went? Even though you're going to say it's nothing, but hey, it's still nice to hear someone else's point of view. Yeah, you no, know, I would definitely say that uh, it was a rebuilding uh, Panthers team that you didn't really know what uh, other than Christian McCaffrey, who's going to get you your yards and your catches and your... You know your stats, but uh, it was a rebuilding Panther team that kind of was looking for you guys to win. So I think it was one in the bag for you guys, and yeah, the defensive end at the stop was really crucial for you. And yeah, you guys are doing well so far, getting those close wins, and just see how it plays out. All right. So speaking on to a, speaking from a non-Raider fan to a Raider fan a game that he believes you we were supposed to win now we go on to week two a game that i believe most people if not only raider fans believed in most people believed that the new orleans saints were going to beat las vegas in their first game in the new all gillette stadium but no did that happen no on monday night the las vegas raiders came to play and they got the vic- and they got the victory on monday night by a score of 34 to 24 Derek Carr, for his second week in a row was spot on with uh going 28 for 38 and he was able to get 284 passing yards three touchdowns and no interceptions so he was spot on definitely he was all around the field throwing dots and dots and bombs and he was just spot on and after rushing josh Jacobs doing his thing again uh 27 carries getting 88 rushing yards and Jalen richard the number two back was very elusive he's who's a um, receiving back who's very quick he was able to get 26,002 carries and a rushing touchdown for those of you who remember on Monday Night Football he was able to uh, get a pitch uh, run that and scored from the 20-yard line it was very exciting and very exhilarating and the receiving yards this was the hit, uh, Darren Waller's first big game of the season he was able to snag 105 yards off of 12 receptions so uh, the Saints had no um and for him that night we also saw Edwards another rookie wide receiver uh getting 42 yards on two receptions and Hunter Renfo the slot third down guy getting three receptions for 37 yards and defensively um Nicholas Morrow was able to get an interception and there was a total of 20 uh, there was a total of 7 total quarterback hits so you know the defensive line the linebackers got to Jubrey all night and last but not least we have uh this past sunday's game against the new england patriots you know uh coming into this game i thought the raiders had a lot of hype a lot of um positive energy going their way going to being 2-0 and having a win against the panthers and then having a win um against this against the saints in their own stadium but then they go to foxborough and have to play camp noon and bill belichick and when you have to do that there's not a lot you can do, but it was a real reality check, I think, for me personally as a fan. But just also, you know, just as a football a football fan and a Raider fan, it was, I guess, on one hand, it was good to see Cam Noon do what he can still do, but also crushing to kind of see that from the first half to the second half, it was I felt like it was two different teams. In the first half, the Raiders were able to keep up with Bill Belichick, and uh, the defense was on him, and Cam was getting pressure, and he was getting sacked. And then in the second half, it just kind of went to um, garbage. I think, I don't know if it was the coaching scheme or what, but the Raiders just didn't have an answer for it. So the Raiders ultimately wound up losing that one by a score of 36 to 20. And, and on, on more unfortunate news, um, our num- our first round pick and Henry Ruggs III actually left that game with a hamstring injury uh, to today, September 28th. He is still out and he may be listed as questionable but we will see so that's also not great to see out of our first round draft pick for passing yards Derek Carr was able to go 24 of 32 he threw 261 passing yards two touchdowns and he was sacked twice rushing yards uh, Josh Jacobs so did he was pretty productive 16 carries for 71 yards but he ultimately fumbled one time which is very unfortunate and then next we had Hunter Renfo who on six receptions was able to snag 84 yards and Brian Edwards was able to get on two receptions 48 yards. Um, the defense had some you know good moments Max Crosby was able to sack Cam Newton twice and Jonathan Abrams was also able to pick off Cam Newton. All, both of those were in the first half. that's when you know the defense was on to Cam Newton, but then as I said they kind of fell through. So, you know, as a non-Raider fan, how do you feel the game against the Saints went, and how do you feel uh, the game against New England went? Um, I think that the game against the Saints was uh, yeah, definitely surprising for most people because they were expecting for the top NFC team to, you know, just kind of go out there and do the thing. Alvin Kamara has, you know, 100-plus you know, yards and, like, you know, 9 or 10 catches for, like, 60 to 70 plus or however much it was going to get, but everyone is anticipating for you guys to get blown out, you know, for everyone to be shocked to find that, you know, you guys do get the first win in your guys' home stadium, you know, it kind of is exhilarating and all that. Um, so I think it was a good win for you guys, but, yeah, just going into, you know, Foxborough and, you know, playing Bobelich inside of his stadium is just really tough for anybody to do, especially, you know, Raiders with the history of, you know, kind of losing there and everything, so it just... I think it wasn't a good. Um, it was a good show, as you know. We're reading Derek Har stats. He had no interceptions. He was able to, you know, make plays. But that fumble hurt you guys. And I think the, the defense honestly is wearing out towards the end. They're giving up on run plays, or you know, they were just yeah. Rex Bur- uh, Burkett, that uh, bald guy. Not a big fan of his. He was able to get a lot of yards for, and really almost no. It felt like no pressure at times. But yeah, ultimately. I would agree with you, unfortunately. And yeah, so just to in the first three games of the season, I want to briefly go over the team leaders. Obviously, Derek Carr leads in passing with 784 passing yards on 74% completions. That's uh, almost a career high for him to this point. He was able, and he's averaging 265 passing yards a game. He has six touchdowns, with no interceptions, awesome, and he was sacked five times. For rushing is obviously going to be Josh Jacobs. He has 252 rushing yards on 68 uh, rushing attempts. He has three rushing touchdowns and a fumble. And last but not least, the receiving uh, Darren Waller still leading in uh, receiving yards with 159 receiving yards, 86 of them being yards after catch. So you know he can definitely he can uh, break off a tackle or you know um, just get those extra yards that need to be got. And on 20 receptions, he was able to get 159 yards. And he has a touchdown catch. The next guy would be Hunter Renfro with 11 receptions, getting 142 yards. 70 of those yards being yards after catch. And he also has a touchdown catch. And on defense, not um, not too much. Uh, Nicholas Morrow, who is a cornerback, has the most tackles on the team, uh, total tackles, with 21. Max Crosby has the most sacks with uh, with those two on Cam Newton, and uh, there are two interception leaders both having one in Jonathan Abrams against Cam Newton, and Nicholas Merle got one against Drew Brees. Now, that was Raider News. I hope you guys enjoyed, and we will be doing uh, predictions very soon for the upcoming week, but, you know, 2-1 is a good spot to be. We're second in the West. We can still put up a good fight against the Bills next week, and I think... We're gonna have a successful season. It's just a lot of up and down, but Derek Carr showing he can be that guy who can lead this team. Josh Jacobs doing what he needs to get get done. But you know, it was a it was a tough week in Foxborough, but we're gonna turn around and really improve and get better and take it game by game, practice by practice, day by day, and just elevate and get better. Now, thank you so much. Now we are on to the San Francisco 49er news. I know. I don't want to either. No, I'm just kidding. Um, there's a great team. They are coming off of a Super Bowl loss. They still made it to the Super Bowl, which is you know props and shout out to them. But they are starting to the point, starting to this point in the season. They are two and one, uh, same record as the Raiders. So your team, unfortunately, has has been hit with the injury bug. Would you like to discuss the not tiny? I would say an injury, maybe cough or injury, sneeze or. I don't know, but definitely not an injury bug. But um, would you care to discuss the injuries for the? So yeah, um, unfortunately, this season has not been, uh, you know, taken into full strides as far as the injury goes. We've been hit with some pretty major ones to start off the season really early, extremely early, unfortunately, actually. So we just got found out um, in our week two matchup uh, against the. I do believe it was the Jets that our two defensive linemen both nick bosa and d ford will be gone for some serious time both tearing their acls one minor the other major um so these are both gone for the season unfortunately those are two big losses um and then we do have jimmy garoppolo our quarterback who was not gone for the season but um suffered an ankle sprain again also in that, um first aggravated it in the arizona matchup which was at initially a loss unfortunately and then again um just made it worse in a second follow-up game so um just you know he's still um dealing um with the ankle kind of day-to-day injury but was unfortunately not able to play this past weekend against the giants and then we have also our number one tight end which he recently just signed for a big wad of cash big moolah um is george kiddo who has been uh having that reinvigorated knee since last season he's actually been nursing it um so they just want to be super super careful on that why so because he has been able to play he has been considered healthy but the, he's been a healthy scratch uh, for the past definitely last week um and then we do have our backup on um, a tight end jordan reed who we actually just signed off a free agent a waiver who unfortunately went down with his knee but him being uh, gone for a far longer time with a minimum of six to eight weeks with his sprain um, and then uh, also, we do see that um, new injuries to uh, Richard Sherman, uh, D-, D. Greenlaw, and Antonio uh, Witherspoon are all on the um, short term, within three to four week ranges, they will be back. Um, but again, just the injury bug has been hitting us uh, quite um, literally everywhere on defense and offense. But um, um, even all bearing that, and you know, just besides all that happening, we're still out here to get um, these plays and get dubs. I um, mean, you know, unfortunately, with Nick, Nick Mullins coming in, which we have seen him uh, since last season, uh, really take uh, take his hand into the pot and, you know, try to make wins for the team, which he's been doing. And, you know, you can say the competition level isn't up there, you know, playing the Jets and the Giants back-to-back weeks and those are gimme games, but uh, we were still able to put up 35-plus points both times, and... He's able to, you know, um, fit in uh, Shanahan's system, Kyle Shanahan's system, and get out uh, the ball where it needs to be. And we do have a rushing attack, which is, uh, you know, filled with the Raheem Mostert. Um, and, you know, mainly he's going to be the guy that's going to take all the handoffs and try to, you know, keep everything together while all our injuries are, you know, getting healed up on our guys, you know, are getting banged up. But, you know, ultimately... Uh, back to normal, but um, the first game that uh, we ultimately took a loss in was against our in-division rival, the Arizona Cardinals, um, which Kyle Murray had a fantastic game, unfortunately, to say, as a 49 fan, but he was, you know, doing really good things out there, um, but Jimmy Garoppolo went at 19 of, 13, of 33, um, went 259 passing yards, uh, two touchdown passes, um, and no interceptions, so that was a good look for him, and, you know, no INTs, but we did end up losing that game, And then we see seen Raheem um, on 15 attempts uh, go for 56 yards with no rushing touchdowns. And he was also the receiving leader with four receptions, a TD catch at 95 yards. And then secondly to follow him up on the receiving list would be George Kittle with four receptions on 44 yards. And for that game we do see an INT for Jaqueski Tart, who has unfortunately also been having the injury bug for a a period of two to three weeks for his hamstring. And then the following week, we do see, um, I guess, the no supposed game game with how terrible the Jets have been playing uh, since the start of the season, but it was a win of 31-13. to 13. Jimmy Garoppolo did actually play, but ended up leaving that game. I, I do believe um, he was a, a scratch at the end of the half, but what uh, he was able to play was go for 14 attempts. Uh, we completed 14 attempts and 16 attempts, 14 passes on 16 attempts. He completed uh, two professional passes and went for 131 passing yards, but as I mentioned, was removed uh, from uh, the game at the end of the half. Nick Mullins, who was in put place for him, who has been his quarterback, who has played a couple games uh, with him going down um, two seasons ago, uh, but he went 8 for 11 on 71 yards passing with an INT. So um, as you see, the score 31-13 to was a big rushing attack on both ends from Jared Jet McKinnon and Ricky Mostert, um, with Raheem Mostert the uh, rushing TD with uh, um, 8 carries for 92 yards so very 8 carries almost 100 plus those are some pretty big um, I'm sure you know break you down plays on the running end it could have been some sort of uh, rush on the end or maybe some sort of sweep but those plays um, for just 8 carries on 92 yards are big rushers that take a lot out on the D and Jeremy McKinnon with the 77 yards and 3 carries also um, a lot of damage and then for the receiving end on that game, we do see the uh, Kelvin kendrick Bourne. I apologize. kendrick Bourne is a leader with four receptions um, with 67 yards. And then um, he is injured currently, but Jordan Reed had himself a game with two touchdown receptions, um, 50 yards on seven receptions. And our defense was actually playing relatively well to hold uh, the Jets to only 13 points. But we see a sack from um, Eric Armstead. And uh, that was pretty much the only highlighted play. But overall, I did feel the uh, defense held it down. Um, even when we did have our main guys out, um, we were still able to get it done. And lastly, last week or this following weekend, we did see the uh, 49ers go uh, to uh, Giants Stadium to play them. And they did take the win 36-9. to So we do see the um, offense still putting up the numbers and defense still shutting them down. So we do see Nick Mullins um, on 36 attempts passing. He completed 25 of them. He also completed a touchdown pass with no interceptions, and completed um three, uh, and completed his passes of three hundred forty three yards. Our rushing attack was led by Jared Jet McKinnon, who on fourteen carries uh, ended with thirty eight yards and a rushing touchdown. And Brandon Nakaiu, who on a jet screen sweep to the left, actually for three carries, um well actually on the jet screen was for the touchdown pass, but uh for on three carries had thirty one yards. So again, you could see Brandon um. Yeah, Brandon Akayu, also was, you know, necessarily a draft receiver, but they're trying to get him included into the run game just with so many injuries we've been having. Um, But yeah, and then just to highlight the defense, we do see that uh, Kerry Hyder Jr. had a sack, as well as uh, Deion Jordan, and Fred Warner had himself an interception. And just our team leaders after the third week in the NFL. Uh, season We do see Nick Mullins leads um, in passing with 47 attempts and 33 completes with 70.2 completion percentage and 414 passing yards, 260 yards per uh, game. So he's averaging about 206 yards a game, one touchdown, uh, one INT, and a QBR of 62.8. So there's not a lot to go on him for here, considering he's been plugged in and only a couple games with not a lot too much to go for him as far as play calling goes. But as the season progresses, then if Jimmy is unfortunately unable to come back then he's going to have a lot more on his hands but we will see another comparison to him would be uh, on jimmy g's numbers 49 passing attempts completing 33 of them that is a 67.3 completion percentage with 390 passing yards 199.5 yards per game four touchdowns no ints and qbr is 79.2 so you do see that the numbers are kind of similar but it's just more of the game experience going uh, to show for that. Jimmy's obviously a better quarterback, though, without saying, so it's definitely a hurt, but, you know, I guess, yeah, it's nice to input um, Mullen in and see some progress. Yeah, definitely, just to able to kind of keep keep it afloat, which is what he's trying to do right now. And then on the rushing end, we have Brahim Mostert with 448 rushing yards and 23 attempts, 110 receiving yards and 7 receptions, and 74 yards per game. Uh, yards per game and no fumbles this season, which has been a great news because that has been uh, you know a struggle for us and qu- a little bit of the more closer games we've had past season. So, and Jared McKinnon uh, has uh, on 20 rushing attempts, 130 yards, 139 yards on six receptions has uh, earned 59 receiving yards, two rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown for Jared McKinnon. And on our receivers, we do have our leading receiver uh, Kelt Kendrick Bourne has 164 yards and 10 receptions, and our defensive leaders, our tackles uh, total, uh, uh, Fred Warner with 26 total tackles, our sacks, Kerry High Jr. with 2 sacks, and r and by Fred Warner and Jukesky-Tart both have uh, 1 interta- interception to themselves. So overall, it's been a rather stressful week, even though we have coming out with our Ws and we have put up a lot of numbers. We still don't know how we're going to look in a post-injury or when we're supposed to be healthily normal, obviously, other than the long-term injuries with the short wins with Richard Sherman coming back, Jimmy G, George Kittle, all of our main guys, if there's somebody to go out there, you know, barring just mainly two main dudes, uh, we can still go out there and get wins is what I'm looking forward to. And, you know, the offense looks to be um, all there with the play calling, so. Yeah, um, as a non-for-Niner fan, I think it'll be exciting to see uh, you guys compete in that division with Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. You also have Arizona Cardinals with Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. You also have the Rams with Jared Goff and just pretty much the same cast that were that were able to make playoffs last year. So, it's definitely going to be a lot of competition, I think, in that division. So, it'll be interesting to see you guys compete with them. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see, and hopefully you guys keep it competitive. Um, I hope you guys get your guys back, but, you know, Raiders are going to have a better record at the end of the season. Yeah, we don't know about that one just yet. So. Just yet, we'll we have see. The same. But as of right now, record. we have the same record, so, you know, I'm taking it week-by-week case, so we didn't have a best... We didn't have a good... Uh, last week was not great, but this week it's week-by-week, game-by-game by game case, so we're looking to positive energy and a lot of w's for the week moving forward so i want to thank you guys this is our first official episode back i know we said we are back but we actually are back now we appreciate all of you guys listening we want to thank you and uh, we also want to mention that uh we really do appreciate you guys listening and taking the time out of your day to you know enjoy our content and just you know try and just you know give support to listen to even if you're if you're uh idea of listening to this podcast is to know more about sports and i'm glad you're taking the time to do that but ultimately uh we both just want to thank you for you know giving us your ear for an hour or however long you listen to the podcast and we appreciate you we hope you stay safe you stay warm you stay comfortable you stay um you know mentally sane i know a lot's going on in the world but just know that you're not alone you are cared about you're cared for and we just hope you guys stay safe and we will get back to you very soon Definitely uh, looking forward to bringing you guys more sports news, um, just more topics to talk about, and ultimately, yeah, just some more time with you guys on the podcast. So appreciate it. Uh, Have a fun and safe rest of the week, and hit you guys soon.